Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. Of course, it's Victory Lane. And today is episode 72, and we're paying homage to a NASCAR Hall of Famer and somebody that I never saw race, but I did see him on the television airwaves. My dad saw him do both, and we both share a common bond. We both love to eat buffet benny benny parsons is this episode's tribute and my dad who as i mentioned watched him race and become a television commentator has more on buffet benny thank you Duve, and hello everybody today we turn our attention to number 72 and pay our respects to the late great benny parsons many of you remember benny as a tv commentator and personality after his racing days were over He was great in that role, and his Buffet Benny segments were some of Davies and my favorites. Still, before then, he was one heck of a wheelman. Over a racing career that spanned more than 20 years, Parsons won 21 times in the Cup Series. He drove the 72 car from 1970 through 78, and he won the Cup Series championship in 1973. His championship that year was a testament to his consistency. He only won once, but he had 21 top 10 and 15 top 5 finishes. He also benefited from the fact that David Pearson only entered 18 races that year, but he won 11 of them, just saying. Among Benny's other accolades are his induction into the NASCAR Hall of Fame as part of the class of 2017, and being named one of NASCAR's 50 greatest drivers. He's also the only person to win both an ARCA and a NASCAR Cup championship. I did not know that. Parsons died in January 2007 from complications related to lung cancer, but his memory lives on and always brings a smile to my face when there's occasion to revisit his career. So thank you, Benny, for those good times and this look back. That's all for today. This one's short enough for you, Duve. Back to you. Thank you, Dad. Love paying homage to a NASCAR Hall of Famer. I found that interesting. He's actually the only person to win an ARCA championship and a Cup Series title. And I don't know when the next time we're going to see that, if ever, because you're at a point now where ARCA and Cup success don't really correlate that much. Xfinity and Trucks, yes, but ARCA, it's just in a different place right now. I would say not in a positive way, um, but that's just kind of how it is. I mean, the only person I can maybe think of is like Chandler Smith, who's coming up in ARCA, but he hasn't even run a full year yet. Um, so that's very premature, but who knows, man? We'll see. Christian Eckes won the ARCA championship last year. He's in the truck series this year, um, but I found that interesting. But thank you, Dad, for paying homage to a NASCAR Hall of Famer legend. May he rest in peace, Benny Parsons. On the docket for today's show, we have Jesse Punch joining us, as you see from the episode title. Wonderful gal who works over at NASCAR International and heads up the Pace Lap. Going to chat with her about a multitude of topics from working in the sport, um, being, I guess, 
indoctrinated into the sport from a very young age with her dad being Dr. Jerry Punch um, and kind of the experiences that she's had at Clemson, meeting her now husband there and now working full time in the sport of NASCAR that she's loved for, for so many years and since she was a child. We'll also recap the playoff opener from Darlington. We'll get to that in one minute with an interesting finish and a familiar winner. Briefly touch on Richmond this upcoming weekend, which I will be in route to as you are listening to this podcast and hear from the star of the show, Jesse. And we'll start it as always with a good old fashioned <laughs> Darlington playoff opener, the cookout Southern 500, 500 grueling miles in the South Carolina heat. And the heat was on, but it was kind of just an average, okay, typical first couple stages at Darlington. But then we had some different strategy in the final one, which was pretty fun to follow along with. Some drivers were on a one-stop strategy, notably Kyle Busch, Martin Truex Jr., Denny Hamlin. Some were on a two-stop strategy, notably Chase Elliott, Eric Jones, Kevin Harvick. And it was going to be interesting to see who came out on top because you had the guys that were on the two-stoppers running full bore, and you had the guys that were on the one-stoppers trying to save their stuff, tires and fuel, emphasis on the tires. Um, And it was going to be interesting to see which track position game wound up netting them more. But unfortunately, some debris was on the track with, I don't know, probably about 35, 40 laps to go. So everybody pitted. Those two strategy games went by the wayside, and we racked them back up, had a restart, and it was a sprint to the finish between the 9 and the 19. 15 laps to go. Martin Truex Jr. tries to dive, bomb, slide, job Chase Elliott into turn one. He thinks he's clear. Spoiler alert, he was not. Both of them go in the wall. Everybody says, oh my God, how is this happening? They start falling back. Truex pits because he's got a flat tire and he's got to repair the damage. Chase Elliott, I don't even know if he pitted, but he got passed pretty soon thereafter by Kevin Harvick. So Harvick running third, restarted second, let Truex go by on a very similar move that Chase Elliott um, was not going to let him go by on, by the way. And Kevin Harvick wins right place at the right time. For the eighth time this season, he's a winner in the Cup Series. And this time it was interesting because he did not have a race-winning car and he did not have race-winning speed, but championship teams, these are the type of performances that you need. Overcoming adversity, making the best out of a not-great day. If you have a 10th-place car and you finish 8th with it, that's a success. If you have a 5th-place car and you finish 3rd with it, that's a success. And if you have a 3rd-place car and you win, putting yourself in the right place to capitalize which is exactly what happened, that ends up being a literal win. So overcoming adversity and battling all night long was the key to success and victory for the four team and Kevin Harvick. It was a battle. It, it wasn't uh, wasn't necessarily pretty, um, but everybody on our Bush Beer uh, Ford Mustang team did a great job tonight uh, keeping us in the race. Rodney had great strategy. Our car was extremely loose all night. And, you know, we, we were able to manage to, to get it better, but never never really got it going as good as we'd like to, but uh, they battled and, and uh, we kept ourselves in the right spot. The leaders got tangled up and, and we were in position to, to capitalize on that. So definitely, definitely uh, weren't the fastest car, but definitely, uh, you know, put ourselves in a position to capitalize on a, on a moment. I also was a bit curious about his change in performance at the track too tough to tame. So thankfully I got to ask him. Hey, Kevin, um, in your, 17 starts at RCR, you finish inside the top five three times at Darlington, and you've only finished outside the top five once since joining SHR. Would you point to Rodney in, in terms of that improvement, or would it be an overall change of mindset or, or skill set at Darlington for you? 
you know, I think as, as you go back in time and, and you look at that, you know, beginning of, of the relationship that we had at SHR with myself and Rodney, they put a lot of emphasis on Darlington and Dover and Pocono and some of those places that, that didn't have a glaring um, good record uh, from, from, you know, what I had previously done. Uh, but this was definitely one of the places that, that we spent a lot of time looking through, um, you know, Jimmy Johnson and uh, the Hendrick Motorsports stuff when we had that relationship uh, to start with and, and did a lot of things, you know, on our own um, that Rodney thought were right with the car and kind of put that at the racetrack. And, and it's been, you know, a lot of fun to drive those race cars ever since I've been at Stuart Haas Racing. So, you know, he, he loves coming to Darlington. He loves going to Bristol. Um, and to, to win those races, you know, I, I know all the guys on the team put a lot of effort into this particular race. So to come here and achieve that is, is something that I know that they put a lot of pride into. Thank you. How about the man atop the pit box just racking up those wins? Rodney Childers, again, for the eighth time this season is a winner, which ties his career high along with Kevin Harvick. Back in 2018, they went to victory lane eight times. Denny Hamlin and Chris Gabehart set a goal preseason to get to 10 wins. That's realistic for them. They have seven right now, I believe. But is 10 for this team a realistic thought for this duo of Rodney and Kevin? Here's your answer. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a big deal. You know, in 2018, we were able to win um, eight races and the All-Star race. And, um, you know, that was, a, that was a huge deal for us. Um, you know, that's, that's one of those dream seasons. And, of course, this one has been also. And, um, you know, the playoffs are just so hard. Um, you know, I think you hear a lot of people talk about that. And things can go good or things can go bad. And, and um, you never know if you're going to make it to uh, Phoenix or, you know, in the past Homestead and race for a championship. We've been pretty fortunate to be able to do that. But overall, um, you know, it's tough. And, you know, you kind of got to be perfect in every round and um, you still got to be able to win races. And uh, normally if you don't win a race, you're not going to win the championship. And, um, you know, right now we've got decent speed. You know, tonight we missed it pretty bad. But overall we were able to hang in there and, and keep fighting the whole race and, and get a finish at the end of it that uh, was probably better than what we deserved. And how about Austin Dillon at the end? He almost got by Harvick at the end and, actually had the speed to do it if there was maybe one or two more laps, and he had the speed to stay up there because in the past we've seen Austin Dillon because of strategy, tire calls, fuel mileage, attrition, whatever. We've seen him run up front at the end of these races. Daytona, he dumped Eric Almirola on the white flag lap coming to get the win. Coke 600, it was a fuel mileage thing. Texas this year, it was a strategy call with two tires from his crew chief, Justin Alexander. This one... It was none of those things. It was pure speed. And he would have finished fourth if it weren't for the two leaders wrecking. And he may have won if it weren't for this race being 500 miles. If it was 501, two, three, he may have gotten the win. You really don't know. But I was really impressed with him because, again, it was not a strategy play or anything like that. It was just a damn impressive run. So kudos to him and kudos to them for a really impressive run. I get overlooked some, uh, probably more than most. I don't know why, but... Um... I always feel like I perform uh, pretty well in pr pressure situations and RCR as a whole can step up. Um, I have total belief in the three team and probably more belief this year than I've ever had because we've brought consistent speed to the track and, um, you know, we might not have gotten every finish um, that we 
should have gotten this year, but we've gotten a lot of good finishes. I mean, it's been one of my best years um, statistically and just the ability behind the, the cars are better. Our Chevy stepped up, um, Eric Warren, RCR, everybody that puts in all the work, all of our mechanics do a really good job. And heck, I think the smaller group has been good for us, you know, less distractions at the track um, as a whole, our group uh, really works together well. I mean, I'll admit it, hand up, you can't see, but my hand's up. I have Matt in the first round. <laughs> I went over my playoff predictions last week, and I don't know, part of me thinks that he still is not going to be able to advance, but he's 10 points above the playoff cut line right now. Ryan Blaney had a terrible day. Um, he finished in the 20s and is 17 points back, dead last in the playoff standings. Matt Benedetto did not have a good day either. Brad Kozlowski did not have a good day either. Joey Logano looked like he wasn't going to have a good day, but rebounded to a third-place finish after some left for the quarter panel damage on a restart with everybody was stacked up. So at one point, you had Blaney, Keselowski, DiBenedetto, and Logano all running bad or having potential issues that they ran into. So you're like, God, Penske slash Wood Brothers, anybody associated with Penske are just, just not doing too well right now. But they wound up being able to turn things around, and especially the 22, that is. So he finished in third place. Uh, with a beaten and battered left for a quarter panel. But everybody else, playoff-wise, did okay. I mean, Truex and Elliott had their misfortune at the end. Bowman came home with with a sixth-place finish, a solid run for him. Kyle Busch ran up front all night long. Denny Hamlin did as well. But the problem with him was he missed Pitt Road, actually coming to um, Pitt Road under green before the yellow came out for debris. So that kind of messed with his track position. And the one guy who was not in the playoffs, but I thought that was um, was a little eye-opening, was Jimmy Johnson as well. Um, and we'll get to some news that he broke this today on Lug Nuts of the Week. But I, he ran up front for a little bit. So did Eric Jones. I think they had some some time spent in the top five. And still, some part of me is like, God, if only. If only he got in. What could have been? The Xfinity race on Saturday may have been the best race of the entire weekend. The best race finish of the entire season. Denny Hamlin, who's a cup guy coming down to Xfinity, trying to get all he can, runs down and catches Ross Chastain, who is running for points. The two have a real fierce battle for about a lap or so, but the last seven overall, which is really good. Um, Denny tries a similar move to what happened the next day. It was kind of a slide job and block gone wrong. The 54 and the 10 both get into the wall. They slow down so much that the 19 of Brandon Jones comes out of nowhere for the win. Right place, right time for him. And the Robert Huffman goodies dash throwback. Man, I mean, I, I was following along with the race on Twitter, actually, because I was chilling on the beach with Labor Day with some of my friends. And I was joking with my girlfriend, Robin. I was like, yeah, I made no effort to watch the Xfinity race today, and it was the best finish of the year. Classic. And then the truck race, which I'll get to in a second, kind of was too. And I joked that the cup one would not be because I was trying to watch it. But anyways, I digress. Brandon Jones wins. Um, he wasn't supposed to win. He was going to come in third. And then Ross and Denny got got to it. And, well, he just came through with the dub. Well, this was, uh, first off, an amazing experience for me. I mean, this is a really big race for for us drivers uh, with throwback weekend with, with Robert Huffman's scheme and I know that paint schemes won a bunch of races, so I'm, I'm happy to uh, add to that. And uh, so, so really big for the for the whole group there. And what a uh, what a fun day for sure. Uh, this was uh, this was crazy. I never thought that uh, we would be you know beating Denny Hamlin at Darlington, but we just uh, executed this race really well. I felt like, and uh, I think that's what kind of paid off for us. I mentioned the Truck Series finish. That was not too shabby either. Derek Krause was leading on the final restart in overtime. 
he uh, made my old K&N Pro Series pride come out. I was very proud of him. Uh, but Ben Rhodes of Thorsport got by him in overtime. His first win of the season feels like some weight was lifted off his shoulders. And Ben's a, a recurring guest of the program. Well, not recurring guest, but he's been on before. And he likes to talk, and we love him for that. But in this case, I had to cut him off a little bit because if I didn't, then this audio clip would be like three minutes. So here's Ben Rhodes talking about his first career victory at Darlington and first victory of the season, the Kentucky native on Kentucky Derby weekend, by the way. <laughs> first off, the wind feels awesome. I'm just, I don't know. I feel like I can breathe now. Like, you know, I feel like a big burden's off my shoulders and um, just feels good. Like a lot of guys on my team, this is their first win. I'm talking about my mechanics, my crew chief, a lot of them. They're, they're very new and uh, I'm just proud to be able to give them that win and, and honored to be able to do that for them. And, you know, they've been working so hard right now with this crazy schedule that it, it's 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 going to be nice. We're going to have a lot of celebrating to do. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the win was hard to get, to be honest. Like, the whole race, we were about a fifth to fourth place truck. Um, we had decent long run speed. And well, to be honest, when the caution came out, I was a little bit disheartened. I was actually mad. I was like, man, we could get a fourth place here. We're probably going to fall back, get eaten up on this restart with, you know, old tires. Some people are probably going to pit. Like, I just didn't know what was going to happen. And I told my crew chief on the radio, I said, well, they said, what do you want to do? I said, I don't know, but whatever we do is going to be wrong. And I guess we weren't wrong. Uh, it worked out okay. My gut was telling me to stay out, but I left the decision up to them because I just, I I feel like they can see the big picture better than us race car drivers can at times. And I wanted them to help me make the call. But when they said stay out, you know, that was good for me. It gave me the confidence to know that, hey, you know, those top four are gone. We got 12 trucks behind us that are going to be our buffer and that was good to know that we went with the gut feeling and also sam mayer won the arca race at lebanon i-44 speedway in missouri watched the last two-thirds of that on nbc sports gold track pass a lot of beating and banging a lot of contact was happening haley deegan led for a good amount um ty gibbs and brett holmes were running up front per usual chandler smith ran into some issues so did points leader michael self sam mayer steered clear of all that he wound up diving in Real deep into turns one and two at I-44, getting by Haley Deegan, cut her off, and he was able to cruise to the victory. So Sam Mayer, as he said on Instagram, keeps flexing on him. Interview time. Tease it off the top, but I'm very proud to welcome on a friend, a colleague, a up-and-comer, you could say, in the NASCAR media industry. I feel like not enough people know about Jesse, um, but hopefully when you guys listen to this show, you'll know more. She is Jesse Punch, host of the Pace Lap at NASCAR International. We get into a lot of topics, how her quarantine has been. Um, also talked about her career, starting off um, doing some stuff at Clemson, then going out west to Denver, coming back and working at NASCAR, how the influence of her dad, Dr. Jerry Punch, has been astronomical in her career and life. And I find it interesting because, you know, all these people see him as this, this big figure in, in the industry, as Dr. Jerry Punch, but to her... He's dad, and that's how he always will be to her. Um, and we also gave our friend Morgan some crap. So, Morgan, if you're listening, we love you for it. So, without further ado, I'll stop babbling on, and here is my interview with Jesse Punch. Happy to have on Jesse Punch, who is a friend, a compadre, and we've not only had technical difficulties this morning because a peek behind the curtain, we just talked for like over 10 minutes, and then Zoom crapped out, and we lost the recording, but... We also are dealing with some car trouble as you're in Knoxville right now, and your car that you've had for almost like 10 years has finally decided to quit on you, so RIP. 
Yeah, big RIP. I know. I, I don't want to talk about it too much because I will cry. Uh, I am that emotionally <laughs> attached to my first car, and nobody wants to see me cry at 9 a.m. or ever. So we're just going to let that one go. Well, you got me up around 9 a.m., uh, and that's an accomplishment in and of itself. So there's no need to cry. There's just pride that needs to be beaming from you that you got me up in quarantine before 930. So we thank you for that. Speaking of quarantine, how has it been for you? I know that you've been going back and forth a little bit and you've been quarantined with your husband and your dog. So that must be fun. Oh, I would 100% have lost my mind already at this point. Um, so I'm very, very blessed that I have been in quarantine with my husband and my dog. And I've joked, those are the only two people I think I could spend this much time with and not want to kill them. For legal purposes, that was a joke, <laughs> but you know what I mean. <laughs> of course. And it's also weird because... I the last time I saw you was at the Charlotte Awards banquet, I think in late December. And that was before you got married. You were just Jesse Punch then. And now you're Jesse Punch Lee. So whenever I hop on Instagram, I have to do like a double take because I'm like, wait, do I know this? Part? Oh, yeah, it's just Jesse. She just got married now. I'm still getting used to it, too. So don't worry. I mean, it's even still weird for me to call him to call Austin my husband or, you know, to write Lee on something. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's I've scratch out the P.U. and like write Lee. Yeah, it's 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 an adjustment for sure. And I know you guys got married in January, which was early 2020. So first of all, kudos for having a part of this ridiculous <laughs> year that is 2020. Be happy and be good. And also, I think you said that your guys' joke now is that your wedding party was like that you partied like it was the end of the world because it kind of was. That's absolutely true. And, I, you know, it's a, probably a good thing we didn't know it was actually the end of the world at the time because I don't know that we would have made it through the party. Um, but we partied hard enough for it to be either way. Um, so it was it was a good time. But, yeah, I, I have to believe every time I say, you know, 2020 sucks or like this is just terrible. I always have to catch myself and be like, obviously, except for my wonderful husband that we got married in January. You know, that was great. <laughs> Everything else sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Everything else sucks besides my husband. But that, that that's a good problem to have, I would say, especially <laughs> this early in your guys yeah. marriage. And I know you two met at Clemson, which is a big part of who you are and everything like that. Can you tell us how you guys met at Clemson? I think it was freshman year. Yeah, we met freshman year at Clemson. We met after a football game, actually. Um, one of my roommates on my hall was one of his best friends growing up. And we just, we all kind of were in the same place at the same time after a game and uh, hit it off. And he couldn't get rid of me ever since. And Clemson football is just such a huge part of our relationship and part of me and him. And um, so we got engaged in, in inside of Death Valley. And it's just so cool. been going strong as a Clemson couple ever since. Well, we were also talking before our um, Zoom decided to crash that Trevor Lawrence actually followed your guys' lead because he got engaged, <laughs> I think, at the 50-yard line of Death Valley. But you guys got engaged in the football stadium before them. So Trevor needs to be thanking you guys for the idea. You know, I like to believe that we paved the way for Trevor to set up this beautiful engagement <laughs> for his now fiance. Um no, I think we're just old and crusty, though. I think Trevor might have outdone us. But we, we were on the hill, so it was a little different. We had kind of our own spot. Trevor got to have his 50-yard line. You know, sentimental place for all of us, me, Austin, and Trevor. <laughs> I also, um, for you guys, a peek behind the curtain before Zoom crapped out, I, I had Jesse a little bit shook because I said, does Trevor Lawrence not look like an Easter Island head? And she kind of had a pause and then smiled, and she was like, well... I can't really get that out of my head now. So for all you listening, Trevor Lawrence does look like an Easter Island head and Jesse Punch admits it. Yeah, thanks for that. I never, I just, 
I've never thought about it. And now I won't be able to not think about it when I see him, you know, I've always seen the prince from, um, from Shrek, you know, like the, the, I can see that too. Yeah. The blonde hair. hair. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's Mm -hmm. what it's something about a jawline that does it for me. But then again, Easter Island, they have some pretty nice jawlines too. So they do, they do jawlines made out of stone actually. Um, let's get into, before we talk about your career, and we're going to make fun of Morgan a little bit for the Love second it. time, which is great. Um, I, I hyped you up, and I'm mad that we didn't have this saved on our recording, but I'm going to try to hype you up again. How do you get such fire <laughs> Instapics? Because you're basically like an influencer without the official, unofficial influencer tag because your outfits are always on point. Your angles are always on point. The lighting is always on point. The captions are always on point. I know you have like two photographers. One is Morgan and one is your husband. So you have an Instagram producer and you have an Instagram husband. But the fact of the matter is the fact that you don't have over 10,000 followers and are not verified and do not have hashtag ad on like every other one of your posts is blasphemy to me because your Insta game is fire. And there it is. I hyped you up again. Oh my God. You hyped me up big time. My heart is exploding, Davey. Thank you. <laughs> no, it's, um, that's just so funny because I truly am just a girl with an Instagram. I am n- n- the furthest from an influencer. Um, but no, I think it's so fun. And you're right. I've, I've roped the closest people in my life, Morgan and Austin into it as well Have with to. me. And, uh, they are my, my photographers and, um, no, I mean, it's just a good time. The thing is, I love what I do. And so much of my Instagram is my job. And how do you not just want to share that with everybody when you're so excited about about the opportunities that uh, you've worked for in life? And so it's it's a good time. And yeah, we joke about Morgan being my my um, Instagram you know photographer, but Morgan is my producer, and she is truly my my left hand. Austin is my right. Morgan is my left. And um, <laughs> I could not have asked for a better best friend, especially when it comes to someone who's never uh shy to get a photo for you or go for an angle for you she she i owe my instagram and any of my 2000 followers of success to morgan Giannone. <laughs> <laughs> well i'm glad she's definitely listening because if she saw two of our <laughs> names pop up together she's got to be so let's she make knows fun we're of talking her about bit. her <laughs> of course she, she does i actually saw her more recently than i saw you because she came to the dc area to visit one of her friends so we went out before coronavirus happened um, but let's make fun of her a little bit besides the fact that she's really, really good at her job, like un, like unbiasedly a great producer and has killed the game and continues to, um, can you give us some like funny stories about Morgan that nobody may not know about, uh, but she would be okay with being spewed on the interwebs. Oh my gosh. It's the first line though, is that the, that no one would not know about, but she would be okay with. Um, let me think that's so tough. I know so much about Morgan. She, Morgan is, um, I love Morgan so. Let me just start by saying, on like more of a sentimental, sen- sentimental is that a word that all just kind of yes. jumbled up in my head? Yeah, you did it. You did it. Um, I did it. Um, but no, Morgan truly though is my best friend, and and she is like the best friend that I I prayed for for so many years, and it's amazing that not only is she now in my life, but she's my producer and coworker, and I don't know how I got that lucky, but with having a dynamic like that, you get to know someone so well and um morgan has all these just quirks and funny things about her and the way that she was raised in the childhood and the shows that she wasn't allowed to watch but you know was allowed to watch and it's just (laughs) it's she just is not she's so quirky and i love it and i think one of my favorite little quirks about morgan is that she doesn't like yogurt but she likes to eat yogurt when we're at the beach 
So only eats yogurt at the beach. If you're sitting on like a balcony of like your hotel room or something at the beach with the beach air and the salt and the sea, she likes yogurt. Any other time, no yogurt. I have a try lot to of explain questions. that one. Yeah. I have a lot of questions. Um, <laughs> do you know the reason for her dislike of yogurt? And do you know the reason as to why it's okay at the beach? Um, I think she probably explained it to me. I don't know that it ever quite clicked in my head. I would have like tuned it, it out too because it sounds yeah, ridiculous. I think it might be a nostalgia thing. She ate yogurt as a kid at the beach. She's just not a fan now. I don't know. It, it's just one of those quirky Morgan things. You just go. Okay, that's Morgan. <laughs> and there's a lot of quirky Morgan things. Um, wow, interesting. Okay, as soon as we finish, I'm going to text her and figure out her yogurt preferences. This is yeah. very strange. Please do. Um, well, all right. People didn't come here to listen about Morgan. People came here to listen about you. So let's get into the good stuff. I know that you did a little bit of work in the journalism and media field when you were at Clemson. But once you graduated, you moved to Denver and became an on-air talent and broadcasting coordinator at the Western Athletic Conference. How was that? What was that? What did it entail? Did you enjoy it? I know that you did a lot of different sports when you were over there, and it seemed like a really good job to have out of college. Oh, it was... I could not have asked for a better place to go out, right out of college. I mean, the WAC did so much for me in the, the two years that I was there. Um, it's like you said, I got an opportunity to kind of cover a little bit of everything. I worked with the digital network, and then I was also um, an SID for the conference. Because the conference... The oh, actual wow. size of the conference. Yeah, there's only 14 of us, really 15 right. people in the conference office. So I was the conference SID for um, indoor and outdoor track and fields, um, swimming and diving, um, tennis, um, a lot. Yeah, it kind of switched wow. around a little bit. But then and then on top of all that, I covered all of the sports for the digital network. So everything from from tennis to, to softball to uh, basketball. So it, it was really neat. And um like I said, I mean, the WAC truly took a chance on me out of college. I, I had so much still to learn. I still do have so much still to learn. But um, that was where I kind of got my my sea legs, if you will. I was able to get more confident in, in what I was doing and just kind of have more of an understanding of what it's like to be working actually in the industry and not just learning about working in the industry uh, like you do in school. So it it truly was the best thing that could have happened to me coming out of college um, and just moving to Denver. Even I didn't know anyone there. I didn't know anyone in the area. I just kind of went for it and um, taught me a lot about myself. It forced me to grow up a lot and I could not, I honestly could not be more thankful for everybody that took a chance on me and for, for the opportunity. It was, it was perfect. So for those of you listening that don't know what an SID is, it's sports information director. So essentially, uh, imagine if you're a media member, and I'll use Michigan State for an example, just because I dealt with the SID there a long, for a long time. You know, just imagine um, somebody that is sending out the media availabilities or sending out the stat advances or the stat blasts and puts all of that together, does all the research, types it all out, puts it all together, and then, you know, sends it out and can also answer any question that you may have or any interview request that you have, like, that is a big, big job. And on top of the job that everybody saw that you were doing, which was the on-air person for the WAC, doing that for not only one sport, but a couple and ones that aren't really mainstream, I imagine that had to be a big adjustment and kind of hard for you. 
It was really difficult. I didn't have any SID experience prior to getting to the WAC. Um, so they taught me everything that I knew there, but it was really crazy to think, I mean, it's like you, you use Michigan State as an example, you know, going through school, you you see these um, this work or you, or you reference this work that SIDs put out, but you don't really think much about the process that it took mm -hmm. to get there. And as I, just out of college, I was going through statistics, you know, and every week I'm, I'm picking the, the athlete of the week for the sport and having to, you know, do things like that and, and send out, like you said, press releases and all of the, um, you know, it just coordinate all the teams. And I had, I think seven sports for SID and then all of the sports for the digital network. So it wow. taught me a lot about, um, fast paced environment and, and needing to be organized and, uh, there were a lot of long nights, you know, where you come back from working and you're like, I'm so tired and I still have so much to do. And I just could not be more thankful for having those nights because it has made me so prepared and so headstrong into, into going into, you know, more opportunities in the future. For sure. I can definitely see why that would, well, that would prepare you for everything that life would throw at you in the industry. In terms of being an SID there and also the on-air talent aspect of things, you dealt with every sport under the sun that that conference had. Was there one specific sport that you were super unfamiliar with that took you a while to get kind of ingrained with? Or was it, was everything kind of coming a little bit easy to you? I know you mentioned tennis, and I'm sure there was some lacrosse going on out there, field hockey, stuff like that. That's not your typical basketball, baseball, softball, football type of things. So were there any specific sports that you were like, what am I doing right now? Um. I definitely had to learn a lot. I'm, I, if you know anything about me, you know, I'm not a track and field competitor. I'm about five, two and I don't get very high <laughs> off the ground or move very fast. So, um, track and field was one that I didn't have any experience in. And, and there's so many events that I really needed to, uh, to get a grasp, grasp on what exactly, uh, the athletes were going through in each of these events. But, um, I'm a big homework person. So I don't really feel like there was ever anything that I, uh, was, really caught off guard by but i will mm -hmm. say this i have never played again going back five two not very fast don't get off the ground very high volleyball <laughs> is another sport that i don't have any experience in and volleyball was actually the first live broadcast that i ever did i did sidelines for volleyball um on the whack digital network live and um it was just really funny for me to be like here we go first live broadcast first time i'm ever doing this and it's a sport that i've never played i don't really know much about um, so I had to do a lot of preparation and getting prepared for that. And I'm sure if I went back and watched that broadcast now, I would just cringe my whole way through it. But yeah. um, it was stuff like that. It was opportunities like that where it challenged me. You know, it's easy to go out there and talk about something that you love or that you've done for a million years. But yeah. it's when you have to talk about something that you've never done, like being in a race car. I've never been in a race car. So that's always been something that's kind of been a challenge in NASCAR. That it's a, it's a welcomed challenge that the WAC gave me practice at. I'm sure that now doing the sideline for the volleyball games and you watch it in, in the Olympics or competitively being played, you can have way much more of an appreciation for it because I, I was the same way. I didn't, I covered a couple games. I didn't do sideline for it, but I watched the, the MSU women play and then I watched the Olympics and I was like, good God, I do not want to take one of these balls straight to the face. I don't even want to hit it on my hand. These things are coming at you at 60, 70 miles an hour. It's insane. It's really crazy. And they're so tall and they jump so high. I'm like, they're, oh my God. The, the athleticism in volleyball cannot be underestimated. Seriously. Beach volleyball too. I mean, like I can't even walk on sand. <laughs> I can't even imagine how they do what they do on sand. It's ridiculous. I'd be Seriously. sweating bullets. I, I can't so get then, to my beach chair. It's, it's a mess. Yeah. <laughs> I know. 
So then you came back east to work at NASCAR, uh, heading up the pace lap, of course, with the international team. What went into that decision-making process? Was it a tough one for you, or did you know that you always kind of wanted to come home, so to speak? Um, I always knew I wanted to get back to the East Coast. Like I said, I didn't know anyone in Denver, and I kind of felt like I might have um, just... I'd all, I'd all, I didn't know that I wanted to work with NASCAR, but I always knew like Charlotte, this area, just all of the sports opportunities that are there, everything from football to ACC, you know, it's all kind of in that area. So I, I had my eye on, on Charlotte and uh, obviously just the whole East Coast, but I saw the opening with NASCAR and obviously NASCAR being a big part of, of my life growing up. I, I was like, why not? We'll go for it. I really didn't even talk to my dad or anybody about it. I kind of just applied because why not and um just i guess it was quite a process and obviously interviewing and everything but then when i finally got to nascar i was like i'm here i'm i'm home i mean it's it couldn't it could not have been a more perfect scenario for me um in finding my next opportunity but um it wasn't planned by any means it just kind of it just kind of fell into place so that's interesting to me because you know obviously and we'll get to talking about your dad but i would think that he would be the one that maybe not pushing you to work in NASCAR, but obviously had a big influence on you from a very young age with him being at the track every single week. And that was his livelihood. Right. But I, th I think it's interesting that he, that you kind of just did it on a whim and it wasn't even like a plan. It wasn't like, Oh, I want to work for NASCAR. I want to follow my dad's footsteps. I want to do this, that, and the other. I find it really cool that you were blazing your own trail, so to speak. And whether it was football, whether it was Clemson, whether it was the whack, whether it, wound up being NASCAR, it seems like you kind of just take things as they come. And I think that's kind of what makes you unique and how you are. Well, thank you. I really, I really appreciate that. I mean, that's something I've always really tried to do is, is for, you know, I, I would love to follow my dad's footsteps. And I guess you could say that is what I'm doing, but, um, you know, still make my own path. I can follow his footsteps sure. and do it, do my own little dance in, in my own way. So, um, it's, it's definitely been something when you talk about my dad and, uh, you know, not pressuring the right word, but, but wanting me to, to work in NASCAR. I think a lot of me not bringing it to him was, was knowing that he spent so many years devoting his entire life to travel and, and all of that. And, and I didn't know if he was going to say, are you sure that's what you want to do? Um, and I knew I was, that I knew I was sure that was what I wanted to do. Um, and I also just felt like I needed to do this for myself. So, um, but then, but then it's like you said, once I did get back into the NASCAR family or once back working with the NASCAR family, uh, it could not have felt more right. And, and in getting to work with people that my dad worked with in the past, it's not, it's, it's really only just solidified that I'm exactly where I'm supposed yeah. to be right now. That must be really cool. I'm sure they have some funny stories that they can tell you about him and just be like, please don't tell me that. It's my dad. I know he's your friend, but that's my dad. Yeah, I was actually at the um, Hall of Fame induction ceremony with my dad uh, back in January, and Bill Elliott came up behind me and put his hands on my shoulders and was like, we need to go on a walk, and I have a couple stories I want to tell you about your father. <laughs> and I looked at him, and I was like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> it's like, the stories <laughs> that you two could probably tell about each other is not anything I need to be privy to. So as much as they want to let me know, I'm going to keep my ears closed for all those. I was going to say, like, Bill, I appreciate you, but you need to understand I am his daughter. I do not <laughs> want to hear about all the things that you hooligans did. Uh, I can just hear about the legend, and that's it. That's it. Right, right. That's, that's all I need to know. That's fun. So people know you for your work there. Specifically, we mentioned the pay slap. Um, correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, but it's essentially a weekly show 
around 30-ish minutes. You have guests on from the NASCAR world, drivers, crew chiefs, whatever. Um, I know Tyler Ankrum's been on, Natalie Decker, um, Kaz Grala, and it gets syndicated to over 200 countries worldwide, hence the international aspect of things. And you've been doing it for around a year or so, but there was about a six-month hiatus when the pandemic came into place. But you're back running now with the pace lap. Was I wrong on any of that? No, you're about right. We are on our um, third season, though. So two, we're, okay, we're like cool. half of a th season three. But yeah, no, you're you're right on the money there. Well, I, maybe I was thinking because it's on television now. This is the first right. year that it's been on MAV TV, right? Yeah, that's right. We got our uh, MAV TV deal at the start of the 2020 NASCAR season. So that was really exciting for us. So how much like input did you have in the creative process of like making the show what you wanted to make it? Like, was it more so from the top, like this is how it's going to be? Or did they give you a lot of say in terms of like how it was going to be, how it's going to look every single week? Because, I mean, as an on-air personality, that's like that's a big part of it because you can be thrown into a show where you don't know much about it and you don't know much about the structure. But if you're in the trenches working at it every day and you want to make it the best that you personally can make it, like as cliche as that is, I think that makes all the difference personally. You're absolutely right about that. Um, I am so blessed when it comes to getting to work in NASCAR International because the premise for Pace Lap was already around. They had already shot a pilot. Um, it was kind of, uh, originally, it was kind of just an idea for a potential international pre-race show. You know, here's here's some content mm -hmm. we came up with. Do what you will with it. Um, and Greg Biffle was the host. Uh, for it was Greg Biffle and Alan Cavano were the hosts for the uh, the pilot episode. What a duo. Wow. I know, right? It was really fun, and that's you can imagine that's why uh, they wanted to keep going with it because Alan yeah. and, and Greg, I mean, knocked the pilot out of the water. But um, but so then when I got there, you know, it, it kind of had just been sitting on the back burner, and uh, I talk about you know being so blessed to work in international. They give us so much opportunity um to grow and you know a job title really with what we have in that group doesn't quite fit what we do um so when it comes to the creative process of the show i mean everything from the writing the editing the producing the graphics um everyone that works on that show has a hand in it uh, including me which i'm so fortunate as as the host because it's like you said you want to be able to work on a show where you feel like you're a right fit and it's um you know, you know, you know what the the goal is and the premise is. Yeah. And um, when we're the ones creating that every week, I I truly do feel like this is our baby. I mean, this is our product that we put all of our heart into every week. It's really awesome um, because working at NBC Sports Washington, obviously, I'm on the, I'm more on the production side than you are, but I, I see specific shows that are very producer driven or very management driven, and then I see shows that are very talent driven. And then the talent is able to work with the producers and say, hey, this is what I'm thinking here. And then they're able to relay that to us on the graphics team or ISQ and everything like that. And everything seems to flow a little bit better when you have, I know it's cliche to say, and it's like elementary, but when you have like that effective communication from all parties, production, on air, graphics, management, like when you have all of that working in synergy, the product is so much better when it's just somebody from the top telling you how it's got to be or somebody that gets too big for their britches that's been on camera for a while saying, well, this is how I've done it the whole time, so this is how it's going to be. And you're at a point now where you're young enough to understand that there's people above you that have a lot of say, but you're also good enough at what you do and have been doing it for a while to realize like, okay, I have some pull here, and this is what I think will work best. So I think that that's why your guys' show 
works really well together. Plus, having your producer as your best friend, that doesn't really hurt matters either since you guys are lockstep. Yeah. Um, well, one, I appreciate the kind words. It really it really means a lot. And and I think mm-hmm. so much, too, of, of what you're saying and, and what makes our group you know synergy work so well is that we all do a little bit of everything. And so even though I host the show, I, I'm, I'm technically a producer with with NASCAR International. So I, I produce, I technical direct, I edit. Um, you do and- stuff for race days, too. I see that you're in the production truck. Yeah, on race days, we uh, are in charge of the international feed. So the the race products that anyone outside of the United States is seeing is coming from from our from our group and we are producing that. So uh, there's a lot of live event, you know, kind of production and, and technical directing stuff is part of what we do as well. But I think that's why we're so good as a team on Pace Lap is because as a host, I know what the producer needs to do. And, and Morgan knows what I need to do. And, and Viv, our camera guy and technical in the studio knows what needs to happen for rolling the playback. You know, it's it's just, there's so many elements, but everybody has had a hand in it. So we all kind of have an understanding uh, to a degree of what's going to help everybody else be successful. And I just cannot, I like, I can't stress enough how important that is for anyone that's coming up in the industry to take any opportunity to learn every role. I don't care if you never want to sit in a production truck and you only want to be on camera, you're going to be that much better at being on camera if you know what it's like to sit in that production truck. So I think that's a lot of why our group works so well together. Yeah. I, um, you obviously have gotten further than me so far in our careers, but I, I definitely echo that sentiment. I mean, like working in production, but wanting to be on air, I've learned so much and uh, it, it's definitely a valuable skill to have just like seeing how the director and the TD work together and the audio, but it's just, there's so much stuff that goes into watching television that you would never know um, from the surface. So I know I've touched on your dad a little bit. For those of you that are living under a rock, Jesse punch, Dr. Jerry punch. That's her dad. He's awesome. Um, I, I think I've met him only once and he, he was really cool when I got to meet him. And I mean, it, I imagine that his influence on you, not only as your dad, but professionally too, has has to be unimaginable. And even though he's kind of like a legend and he's folklore to a lot of people, I mean, I was watching Days of Thunder with my girlfriend for the first time like a month ago or so. And when your dad popped up, I was like, oh, you remember my friend Jesse? That's her dad. Um, So I know that he's like a legend to a lot of people in the NASCAR world that are listening. But to you being dad... I'm sure that those two paths crossing have to be a little bit weird sometimes. Yes, very much so. He, it, it really does make me laugh when people are like, oh, your dad is, you use the word legend, or your dad is my my mentor, he's my idol or whatever growing up. And I'm like, really? Because he's my quirky dad. And he makes just <laughs> as many terrible dad jokes as you would think. And we have to remind him that he can't make those on the air because they're not good. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so it, it really is funny um, to, to be in those scenarios sometimes now that I am working in the NASCAR world. And because uh, to me, he really is my dad. But you talk about that crossover between being a mentor and being a father. Um, first of all, he's the best I could ever ask for at both of those things. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, his knowledge I could not be more blessed that I have somebody that I can lean on. And obviously uh, where the father element comes in is that he is also going to tell it to me straight. You know, he's going to tell me, uh, he's going to be so supportive of me and everything. And he's always going to help me uh, to be the best that I can be, but he's my dad, you know, and he's going to be real with me. He's going to tell me sometimes too, when it's me, that's being unreasonable. And that's never what you want to hear, but that's what you need in a mentor. And uh, that's why I'm blessed that both of those 
uh, my mentor and my father are all in all in one person. So it's been uh, an interesting ride to kind of really truly start to step into his footsteps in the NASCAR world. And um, it's done nothing but bring us closer together. And I couldn't be more thankful for that. So I know you talked about it earlier, but you know, you mentioned stepping into his footsteps and following those. That wasn't something that you consciously thought about when, when you were old enough to realize like, okay, I want a career in this industry. Maybe I'll end up being in NASCAR in that specific area. But that wasn't something that you actively thought about. It kind of just organically has happened that way. Yeah, I I really don't even know when I decided that I wanted to pursue a career in broadcasting. Um, when I was much younger, I thought I was going to be Hannah Montana or an international pop sensation. So Don't give still- up the dream. Yeah, you know, still waiting to see if that one's going to work out. Um, But until then, I think I will continue to pursue my broadcasting career with NASCAR. Uh, But no, I mean, it it really, seeing how hard my dad worked growing up, um, he made it, I I don't want to say it was easy. He made it look easy. He never, he never, he was such a good dad to us that it never seemed like work was, was an issue, was stress. Mm -hmm. Um, but so it's so it's really interesting now to be able to kind of step into a different relationship with my dad that I'm dealing with some of the things that he was dealing with that we obviously never talked about when I was younger, that now that I'm I'm going through them myself, I have an opportunity to come to him and say, I know you've had to deal with something like this before. Please help me out here. And um, so, yeah, it, it definitely wasn't planned as far as stepping into his footsteps or, or really knowing that's even what I wanted to do. But um, it's it's. I said earlier, I, I don't feel like I'm, I feel like I'm exactly where I, where I'm supposed to be. So I don't hesitate at all that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. When, when you were growing up and I know that he was at the racetrack almost every single week, I mean, how often were you able to go to the track with him? So when I was really little, uh, I was there all the time. It's actually, we found my, I think it was like a kindergarten notebook or something where the, the teachers can, can chat with the parents because we didn't really email you know they sent home like a notebook with the kids and we were laughing because every single wednesday or thursday there was a note written to the teacher please excuse jessica from school until monday because we will be in (laughs) richmond or daytona or wherever and um i mean i was everywhere with them i think i went to my first race at like six months maybe um but yeah i mean i it, it but as i got older um and obviously kind of started to have my own interests. My parents were really, really big on us living our own lives. And I, it's, it's fun now to think about it. There are so many events that I'm like, man, I wish I had gone to that, but I was off playing a soccer tournament or whatever. And my parents, you know, always wanted us to focus on um, growing up our, our own and being our own people and it not being about what our dad does or where he is or what trip we're on. It was just always about doing what we need to do to, be the best that we could be at school or sports or whatever it was. So, um, traveled with him for, for, for a while and then kind of fell off the wagon there for a little bit as we started to take on our own, our own interests in sports. Yeah, that, that makes sense. It's cool now too, because you're starting to work in the industry. He has taken a, a big step back, but he's still active on social media and getting some some stories out here and there, but you guys have started your own podcast where he can tell all of those stories and not have to shorten them into 140 or whatever characters. It's called Rolling with the Punches, aptly named. So good job on you for that. Thank you. Um, and it's been around for a few months now. And it's I think that's cool that you're able to have an avenue to talk about anything that you want to 
with your dad like that because on my show my dad has been doing these like little intros for so like for example this is episode 72 it's the benny parsons edition yep so he does a little like blurb on benny parsons and that's his like way to keep connected with the show and with me and everything since he got me into the sport so now it's cool that you have that avenue to do with your dad too so subscribe to rolling with the punches once you finish listening to this Hey, thanks. Yeah, I'll, might I say too, I love your mom's commentary as well when she chimes in every every once in a while. So <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they're great. I'll tell uh, her. Yeah, please do. Please pass along my my kind words. But um, no, it's been really cool. Rolling with the punches was a was a quarantine child, if you will. It was it was we've got a lot of time and a lot of stuff to talk about, and we do it every week for multiple hours on the phone. Let's do it for multiple hours on Zoom, you know, and and at least kind of let some other people into our into our conversations and I mentioned earlier that working for NASCAR has brought me closer to my dad while rolling with the punches has has just taken our relationship to a whole different level and it's been so cool to get an opportunity to to kind of interview him you know and and chat and 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 delve into his life and one of my buddies said to me when we did our first episode he said um whatever happens with this podcast whatever happens it doesn't matter because What's really cool is that you're going to have all of these conversations with your dad on video for the rest of your life. And that really hit me. And I was like, if this never gains a single listener, I don't care because I get to do this with my dad and not a lot of people get to do that. And you can relate, like you said, I mean, the person that got you into the sport, who cares like where this goes because it's something that we get to do and we get to share with them. And it's, it, it, I can't describe how good that feels. Yeah. And again, like his stories must be endless. So the fact that you get to listen to him, tell those and also spend time with him at the same time and, and give the people if they want to listen that outlet to, to listen. It's just, it's really cool. So, so I'm glad that you're doing that with him. And, um, there was also a question that I had, and I think you've already answered it because there's a lot of people out there and I can relate it to NASCAR in the sense of like, well, Chase Elliott's dad was in the sport, and Chase only got this ride because his dad was famous. <laughs> Not true. Uh, Ryan Blaney only got this ride because his dad's famous. Not true. Like, these are good race car drivers. Right. Um, and people people that don't know you may see your last name and say, oh, well, she's only got this job because her dad was famous, and she's a pretty girl, and yada, yada, yada. And I want to tell those people, um, rewind about 20 minutes and hear what Jesse was talking about. Where one, she didn't really have any plans to follow in your footsteps, er, in her dad's footsteps, and two, when she applied to the job with NASCAR, it was one a job that she applied to. Her dad didn't pull any strings, and she didn't even tell him that she was applying. So, for all you people that are thinking that, if you are, please rewind, and your mind will be changed. There you go. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Uh, and to throw it out there too, I I applied for a few jobs at NASCAR. I didn't get the first one that I that I applied for. So let's just say that as well. I, I didn't even get the first job that I hoped I would get with NASCAR. But um, and you know that's obviously a challenge that you kind of expect going into it. And I'm sure that's something you mentioned. People like Chase Elliott and Ryan Blaney. I'm sure that's something they would agree on. But they both can say their dad wasn't in the race car driving for them. And for me, mm-hmm. it's done nothing that you know. I don't, I don't get a lot of that um, from people. Like, thankfully, I've been fortunate enough. People have been so kind to me. But um, it's always in the back of the back of your mind that you don't ever yeah. want anyone to assume you were ever handed anything. But I just try to take that and turn it into fuel um, and use that as just even more reason for me to want to continue to work hard in my career. And I know how hard I've worked to get here that who am I ever going to let anybody else tell me that you're discredit, you know, what I've done for myself. So um, anyone that ever has to deal with anything like that too, I just think that it's important to not let that ever be discouraging, you know, um, just, just turn it into fuel. 
You're damn right. Give me fuel. Give me fire. Give me that which I desire. <laughs> you got it. Um, is this where you see yourself being for the long haul? Like, do you imagine yourself having the rest of your career stay in the sport of NASCAR and, and being here? Or do you have some different career aspirations that you maybe want to explore? That's a really good question, Davey. I've been thinking a lot about my five-year plan in the past few days. Um, and actually, <laughs> when I say thinking about it, I mean trying to make one. Uh, because I'm, I'm quickly, right. I'm quickly realizing that I'm, you know, coming into season four with NASCAR and it's like, wow, what, what's the game plan here? You know, um, I would be over the moon and blessed beyond measure to be able to continue to work with NASCAR for the rest of my career. I mean, I could go on and on family sport. Everyone is so kind, just the environment, everything about it. I just, I am so in love with and so thankful for, um, I don't know though. I don't know what God has planned for me. I know that I absolutely love college football. I know that I've always, when it came to broadcasting, always had that itch to, to want to be on the sidelines somewhere. Um, especially in football. I love, you know, everybody wants to be the game day girl. I, I grew up just loving Sam Ponder. I think, you know, to see someone like that, whose career got to do everything from game day to sidelines to now hosting in studio for, for the NFL. I mean, I look at careers like that and I'm like, I would be so blessed to work with NASCAR forever, but wherever God takes me, I know it's going to be a journey and I'm open to the ride. So I have a lot of interests, but um, we'll have to see where they go. Well, when you become the first um, college game day feature reporter slash host and NASCAR pit road reporter slash host, don't say I didn't tell you so. Because if anybody's going, everybody's going to double dip, you can double dip. So oh. when you do it in like 10 years, come back to this episode and everybody will be like, wow, you predicted the future. Oh my gosh, you're so kind. I have, I, that just gave me goosebumps. I can't, uh, that, those are <laughs> pipe, those are pipe dreams for a girl like me. So, uh, I would be incredibly blessed to be able to say that one day, but I'm just happy to be here where I am right now, Dave, you chat with you. That's true. Well, um, it looks like Zoom says that we have less than a minute to go. So I want to end by saying thank you for being an awesome friend. Thanks for being on the show. Um, it, it's been great to chat with you. And again, thanks for being a great friend, great colleague, giving me some career advice, hanging out with me at the track. It's been really great to get to know you um, throughout the years. And it's been great to hop on Zoom here, even with our technical and car difficulties. It's been awesome. Yeah, seriously, getting through all the difficulties has been fun. But Davey, thank you so much. I, I tell everybody that I'm so happy that I was able to get to know you through racing and that you were one of the first people to kind of welcome me in and make me feel comfortable at the race track. So uh, cool. I'm so thankful for you and our friendship. So it was nice chatting with you. Thanks, Jesse. It's been great. We'll have to do it again sometime. I'd love that. All right. Good luck with your car. <sighs> Thanks. And we're back. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. I hope she got her car troubles uh, fixed. Maybe by the time you're listening to this, she has the problem diagnosed or she has her car fixed. Maybe she has a rental, a loaner, who knows, but I'm sure that she will, uh, keep y'all updated on Instagram with those fire captions, fire picks, Morgan, keep taking them. Austin, keep taking them. She'll be an influencer in no time. All right, let's preview Richmond raceway Four races an Xfinity doubleheader cup race on Saturday night. Trucks on Thursday, which is today when you're listening to this. And honestly, it might be going on as you're listening to this, or it may have concluded as you're listening to this, but oh well. It's the first time that the Gander Outdoors Truck Series is there since 2005, I believe. So a 15-year hiatus at Richmond for the trucks, but they are back and better than ever because it's the regular season finale. How about those apples? 
You got Kraus, who I mentioned earlier on in the show, and Todd Gilliland that are going to be battling for that final playoff spot. Going to be fun stuff to watch. I've said for a long time, I love the Truck Series. I love what their racing is all about. Um, and I hope that they're able to put on a great show at Richmond. A lot of inexperienced drivers when it comes to that racetrack and in trucks in general. So I, I'm, I'm, I have high expectations for this race. So I hope it delivers. Xfinity still has a couple more races to go until their playoffs begin. But this is still a huge weekend for them because it's a twofer. You could lose double points this weekend or you could make up double points this weekend. Kyle Busch is in the first race, I believe, on Friday. So that's a wash because he's probably going to win that one. Um, and he probably needs that for his confidence, honestly. But the other ones, and even that one, who knows? Like Maybe Justin Allgaier will come out of somewhere and win. Who knows if Harrison Burton could get another win. I know he's been a little bit cold since the pandemic happened because he had his couple victories before the pandemic started. But Xfinity... They've probably had the best racing overall in NASCAR this season. I'm talking Cup, Trucks, Xfinity, ARCA, ARCA West, ARCA East, Modified, everything. Xfinity has been amazing. Um, and, of course, there's a couple duds here and there. But overall, the racing this season for Xfinity has been insane. But the main event is the Cup Series on Saturday evening, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time on NBCSN. Can Kyle Busch get his victory to end the winless streak? What about his teammate, Denny Hamlin? We know how good he is at Richmond. Kyle has six wins. Denny probably has four or five, somewhere around there. What about Barton Truex Jr.? I think he won this race one year ago. He's won the last two, three short track races when he go back to Martinsville um, and Richmond. I don't think Bristol, uh, but I may be wrong. Harvick, I mean, he's obviously going to be strong here. Clint Boyer finished second here last year. Can he maybe get off the schneid and get a victory here and silence some of those haters that think he's going to the TV booth next year? Can anybody else do it? I don't know. I really don't. Christopher Bell, I know he's really good here. He was an Xfinity. There's no reason to think that he won't run up front inside the top 15, at least the top 20 in the Cup Series race, so he may be a good fantasy play for everybody. I feel like this race, out of all, is pretty wide open. I feel like it's going to be a JGR card that does win, though. Um, if you made me pick somebody, I'd pick Denny just because Kyle has been cursed by this year. But, man, it, it seems like it's shaping up that Kyle may be able to get to victory lane. Um, I don't know, though. But th this is going to be interesting because it's the first short track of the year that's not named Bristol or Martinsville. So there is a little bit of an unknown element heading into this race. The first time that we've raced at Richmond this year. First time we've raced at Richmond in over a year. Um, so we'll see what happens. I know the race earlier this season got canceled. And I'm fortunate enough to be going there on site for Front Stretch this weekend. Thank you to Tom Bowles over at Front Stretch. And everybody that makes the ship, go around there. I hope I'll be able to make you guys proud. Make some wonderful video content. Some wonderful written content. Who knows? Support us on Patreon. Do the whole thing. But I'll be there this weekend at Richmond. Hope you guys tuning in on television will be able to enjoy it as well. Like that's of the week. Cue that funky music, white boy. So before we get to the bombshell news that happened in SoCal, let's get to a SoCal kid who dropped some big news this morning as well. Jimmy Johnson, we know he's not going to be returning to NASCAR full time for the rest of his driving career. Maybe do a one-off here and there but he's talked about how he wants to run IndyCar. And this morning, he announced a partnership with Chip Ganassi Racing. We say that one more time. Jimmy Johnson and Chip Ganassi Racing. How about that for a dynamic partnership and duo in IndyCar? 
to run a full schedule when it comes to street and road courses for the next two years. They don't have a sponsor yet. They're hoping to get one soon and hopefully figure out and iron out all those details. But when you look at that on paper, holy bejesus. <laughs> Jimmy Johnson, seven-time NASCAR champion, going to IndyCar where you know he's going to be good because he's shown some glimpses uh, and glimmers of hope. He's going to be a teammate of Scott Dixon. Those are two ghosts in their respective forms of motorsports that are going to be competing side-by-side, side, sharing information. I can't wait for that. That is going to be great. So congrats to Jimmy. The one thing that I find weird is that if he decides to go back cup racing for one or two races, he's probably going to do it in a Ganassi car because Hendrick, they're probably going to have four cars and they can't kick a full-time guy out for Jimmy to run a one-off. So that's going to be really interesting if you were to see Jimmy Johnson hop back behind the wheel of a NASCAR race car, but not in a Hendrick Motorsports car. And I know there's a partnership with CGR and HMS, but still, that'd be weird. All right, the bombshell news that dropped this week is that Auto Club Speedway is turning into a short track. No, I'm not joking. I literally thought that it was a burner account on Twitter when I saw Jeff Gluck and Jordan Bianchi tweet it. And kudos to them, by the way, of The Athletic for breaking the story. So the front stretch is going to remain as it is. The back stretch is going to be pit road. So think about how narrow that's going to be. The straightaways are going to be resembling Martinsville, and the turns are going to resemble Bristol. Holy but Jesus again. Um, as I said, this is a bombshell, um, and it sent the Twitterverse ablaze. I think it's super, super interesting. So let's kind of get to why they're doing it. The land is really valuable out there. They don't want to give it up. Instead of selling it, let's make it like a Daytona slash Kansas type of place where you have the track there, but you also have a shopping center attached, a casino attached, all these things that go along with tourism and getting more money into that specific area of the city. I think it's a great idea. It's going to bring more more interest, uh, more fans there. And obviously, there's not going to be as many fans because the track's going to be smaller. But as Jeff Gluck and Jordan Bianchi talked about on the teardown, their, their subscribers only special. Like, this is going to be a hot ticket, and I want to go out there for the first time. So, construction is going to begin after next year's race. They're going to hope to have it ready potentially by 2022, but aiming for 2023. So, that is freaking nuts. Jacob Cantor and Greg Zipadelli, they're going to fill in atop the pit box in the Cup Series for Kyle Bush and Clint Boyer this weekend because they're respective crew chiefs of Adam Stevens. And Johnny Klossmeyer were both suspended for loose lug nuts, two loose lug nuts after Darlington. There's going to be 20% capacity for the championship race in Phoenix in a few weeks, about 8,400 fans that comes out to when you do the math. So I'm glad they're going to have some people because a championship race with no fans just seems so, so strange to me. And lastly, Urban Outfitters has partnered with Bubba Wallace for a collaboration. They're selling some shirts and they also are donating about $100,000 to Bubba Wallace's charity. Um, talking about compassion, love, and understanding. T-shirts are like a little pricey, but I feel like I may have to cop one. It's for a good cause, so who knows. That'll wrap things up for Episode 72, the Buffet Benny Parsons edition of Victory Lane 2.0. Do me a favor, and if you like what you heard today from myself, my dad, Jesse, whoever, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes. You can subscribe there as well. We're on Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, usually wherever you get your podcasts, we're available there for your consumption. And if we're not, drop me a line and I'll try to fix that for you. So we'll be back next week with a whole lot more to delve into. We'll recap Richmond, preview Bristol, baby. 
have on another guest from the NASCAR industry. And I will talk to you guys on the flip side. Until then, enjoy Richmond and be good.